Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast, the show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. Today I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to start this episode with this question specifically. If you were writing the histories of Middle-earth, if you were J.R.R. Tolkien, and you conceived of a moment in the history where the paths of the two most important, or potentially two of the most important characters, cross, how would you write that? What would you have happen? What would you have them say to each other? Would there be interactions? Would they help each other out in some way? Would they work toward some sort of common goal or maybe against each other because there's a misunderstanding? J.R.R. Tolkien answered this question when he wrote this section of Tour's story. Because Tour, as I've mentioned before, was cousins with Turin, two of the most important characters in all of the first age, if not all of the stories altogether. And I raise this question because I feel like what Tolkien does here is in stark contrast to what most of us would do. Most current day writers might also do. We live in a post MCU Marvel cinematic universe kind of world where whether it's TV shows or movies, you're always drawing connections between the different stories and the different characters. You're setting up moments for them to interact in interesting and dynamic ways that further both of their stories simultaneously. This is the world we live in today. And Tolkien could have gone down that route, but he doesn't. He holds back, which lends an air of mystery to Tour's story. This is part of what makes this world feel bigger than it actually is based simply on the words on the pages. If you are coming into this legendarium and the only thing you've read so far is the story of Tour, then you're only given a glimpse of Turin, a very, very small glimpse that's heavy in reference to things that 
have not been revealed in this story specifically, but make the greater world feel so much more interesting and mysterious. Today's episode starts with the crossing of paths between Tour and Turin. And then, as with all great works and Tolkien's works as well, the situation grows more dire. So let's start with this passage. This is exactly where we left off on the last episode, and it continues with this very interesting yet short crossing of paths. Veronwe had just warned Tour about the great worm of Angband, and then this happens. They heard a cry in the woods, and they stood still as gray stones, listening. But the voice was a fair voice, though filled with grief. And it seemed that it called ever upon a name as one that searches for another who is lost. And as they waited, one came through the trees and they saw that he was a tall man aimed clad in black with a long sword drawn. And they wondered for the blade of the sword was also black. And this part is interesting. The edges shone bright and cold. This is a reference to the gleaming, the almost the light that is reflected from the metal of the sword. And it may also be a reference to one of the books that we're talking about in the bonus episodes after this episode. So uh, if you are part of the Patreon, make sure you check that out, because I think we might have a reference for where this concept comes from. Woe was graven in his face. And when he beheld the ruin of Ivrin, he cried aloud in grief, saying, Ivrin, Felivrin, Gwyndor, and Belig, here once I was healed, but now never shall I drink the draught of peace again. And this isn't the moment to recap all of Turin's story, or even the moments that lead up to this. Go back and listen to those episodes again if you want. But we know from getting through the Silmarillion together that he was healed in the waters of Ivrin, that he had friends, Gwyndor and Belig, and that he had lost them, and he has lost so much. By this moment in Turin's story, his life is in turmoil, and he's searching for someone. Then he went swiftly away towards the north, as one in pursuit, or on an errand of great haste, and they heard him cry, Faelevrin, Findulas, until his voice died away, in the woods. And then we're given a detail that firmly places this story in its place in time. But they knew not that Nargothrond had fallen, and this was Turin, son of Hurin, the Black Sword. This only for a moment and never again did the paths of those kinsmen, Turin and Tur, draw together. This is after the fall of Nargothrond. This is after the initial confrontation with Glarung, and he now seeks Findulas. Remember that? This is the moment that we come across Turin, that Tur comes across Turin. But he decides not to engage. Like I said in the intro, so many other authors would at least have them talk, if not go side by side for a while and kind of I don't know, interfere with each other's stories or help out with each other's stories, something like that. But that's not what happens. 
We're told that when the Black Sword had passed, Tour and Veronwi held on their way for a while, though day had come, for the memory of his grief was heavy upon him, and they could not endure to remain beside the defilement of Ivrin. They decide to move on too. They don't follow after him, even though he looks like he might be a kinsman of Tour. They don't follow him. He's clearly referencing other things, other things that are going on. And his mood is not good. His sword is out. He seems like a dangerous person who's distraught over something. And so they choose not to engage and they continue moving on. Another thing that this passage may do is show you a reference to somebody else who has been in this area, potentially, who is also undergoing some sort of terrible situation as things, as we're about to see, become worse and worse. This is the worst winter they've ever seen, and it is manufactured. It is not a natural winter. It is a winter sent south by Morgoth as a weapon against his foes. And they have to deal with this. The next paragraph says, Before long, they sought a hiding place. The land was full of foreboding of evil, and they didn't even sleep very well. And then with night, quote, The night came a grinding frost. Grinding frost. Thereafter, the snow and ice relented not at all. And for five months, the fell winter, long remembered, held the north in bonds. Now, we're not jumping ahead five months, but what the narrator is doing here is telling us that they are not just in the midst of a flurry that will pass by. They are at the beginning of five months of the worst winter anyone will ever see. And this takes its toll on our two characters, Tour and Veronwi. We're told they were tormented by the cold, that word tormented, and they feared to be revealed by the snow to hunting enemies. Now, why would that be? Why would the snow be more treacherous than if the snow wasn't there for their enemies? Well, two thoughts come to my mind. First of all, if you put on a cloak that makes you hard to detect and the snow lands on top of the cloak, then all of a sudden you're a moving object underneath some snow and you become a little bit more easy to see. Also, you leave tracks in the snow. If they were to come across enemies and try to get away from them, they would be very easy to follow. The other thing this section does for me is it reminds me of moments in The Lord of the Rings, where the characters are undergoing very, very difficult situations, whether it has to do with nature or the presence of the enemy nearby, and they have to be very careful about how they move forward. So that's a fun thought. But there's another reason why the snow is so dangerous, and it's pointed out right here in the next part of the sentence. It says, they fear to be revealed by the snow, but also, quote, or to fall into hidden dangers, treacherously cloaked, because you could hide traps in the snow. You could hide yourself in the snow. If the orcs were being clever enough, they could spring out of anywhere. So then we're told that they continue on for nine more days, slowly and painfully, and they're heading somewhat north and somewhat east. They cross some of these streams that are near the Tiglin, and then they leave the mountains. They go more eastward again, and they come upon the stream of Malduin, and this stream is frozen, but it's not just frozen. It's frozen black. 
and we get this conversation. Then Tour said to Veronwi, Fell is this frost, and death draws near to me, if not to you. For they were now in evil case. It was long since they had found any food in the wild, and the waybread was dwindling, and they were cold and weary. This scene is echoes of what Frodo and Sam had to deal with. Not enough food, the waybread running low, in treacherous situations. This feels like a preliminary version of what eventually would have been worked into the Lord of the Rings. And then Veronwi says this, Ill is it to be trapped between the doom of the Valar and the malice of the enemy. Which is a wonderful sentence because it sums up the nature of the Noldor and even the people who are helping them. The people who are surviving in Beleriand who can't actually get the help of the Valar because they are holding back. And so they're stuck in this place with the terror of Morgoth and all the terrible things that are happening. And Tor responds, How far is now to go? For at last, Veronwi, you must forego your secrecy with me. Do you lead me straight and whither? For I must spend my last strength. I would know to what that may avail. Basically, I'm wearing out, buddy. I haven't had enough to eat. This this journey is more treacherous than we would have predicted. I don't know how much energy I have left. But if I do have some, I want to at least use it and make sure that I'm headed in the right direction. That I'm going to eventually get there if I just keep pressing on because that's all I can do. So you've got to you got to be straight with me. Tell me, are we going in the right direction? Veronwi responds. He says, I have led you as straight as I safely might. Know then now that Turgon dwells still in the north of the land of the Eldar, though that is believed by few. Remember, this is something that Tour found hard to believe. How is he so far north? How is he so close to the enemy? And yet the enemy cannot find him. Already we draw nigh to him, yet there are many leagues still to go. So we're getting close, but we're not quite there yet. It's like when your kids are in the car and they're like, are we there yet? Same kind of thing. Yeah, we're getting close, but we still got a while. Even as a bird might fly. And for us, Sirion is yet to cross. And great evil, maybe, lies between. So they have more rivers to cross and whatever evil is along the way. So he's being very frank with him. He's like, this is the situation we're in. I'm doing the best I can. We're headed in the right direction. So at least know that. And then he says, for we must come soon to the highway that ran of old down from the mines of King Finrod to Nargothrond. There the servants of the enemy will walk and watch. A major road, a highway a path that was previously used by the elves and would have been safely tread, is now watched by the enemy. I counted myself the hardiest of men, said Tour, and I have endured many winters woe in the mountains. And remember, he was alone for a lot of that. But I had a cave at my back and fire then. And I doubt now my strength to go much further, thus hungry through the fell winter. But let us go on as far as we may before hope fails. And Veronwi responds, No other choice have we, unless it be to lay us down here 
and seek the snow sleep. So let me tell you a little story. You know that we get sponsors on these podcasts and Yuffie, who does these smart locks with video cameras in them, reached out and they sent me a smart door lock with a 2K camera, a doorbell and a finger reader, all the bells and whistles. And I was like, okay, cool. They sent it to me. I already have one on my back door. When I opened this up and installed it, I was like, why didn't I go with Yuffie to begin with? Because this is a step above the one that I've been using. The finger reader just works. The 2K camera is so clear. I can see when somebody's at the front door, if it's Amazon or if it's somebody trying to sell me something. It even has night vision and works in the dark. It makes me feel so much safer. Plus, my son can just put his finger on the door and just come right in when he gets home from school. He doesn't have to worry about losing keys and you don't even have to change the batteries in these because it's got like a 10,000 milliwatt hour battery that lasts for like four months. Go check these out today. Search for Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Again, search Eufy Video Lock. I think you'll love it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome to the middle of the show. This is where we get to thank our patrons, including our newest patrons, uh, Brianna B. and Hallgriff uh, Dragonhammer. I don't think that's your real name, so I'm going to say that aloud. If it is, that's freaking amazing. Uh, thank you to both of you. I'm glad you've signed up. I hope you're enjoying the bonus episodes or the ad-free episodes. That All that stuff comes out early. There's also t-shirts and all sorts of other fun stuff on the Patreon. So patreon.com slash L-O-T-R Lorecast is the place to look for that. Also... I have to shout out our VIP patrons who get shout outs every week. And we've got a bunch, so I'm going to do my best to get through them as quick as I possibly can. Here we go. AK Music Lover, Anakin Skywalker, Apollo, Aragorn... Th- I already messed up. Aragorn the Third, Azel Razzle, Barney D, Bo, Black Squirrel, Brandy D, Chewbacca, Cutter Metalworks, Darth Feanor, David S, David M, Divine Madman, Drupal, Esoteric Rage, Fulcrum, Gimli A Break, Gemma D, Jesse P, J Eggs, Jezzer, Kate L, Katie S, Capenna, Lore FC, Lori B, Mason, Michael M, Nick K, Nostrils of Sauron, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Peace Lutheran Church, Rosie Rose, Sam B, Sauron for Life, Seiju, Swiggy Swoo, TJT, and Turon. Uh, I already messed that up too. Tour, son of whore, 97. Uh, two messes up that time. Uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for supporting the show. And as you know, I couldn't do this without you. So thanks, thanks for all your support. Also, Another way to help out would be to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, which get read out on this show, like this one from Tommy Olson in the United States, who writes, 
Great work. Fantastic work in research. Mr. Tolkien would be proud. Well, thank you so much. That is that is a nice thing to think about. I, I, I hope so. Uh, I'm sure he would take issue with my pronunciation of some of the words, which, by the way, thank you. A few people have actually reached out recently and said, here's some help with pronunciation stuff. I know that's very important to a lot of people. It's very difficult for me to make a point to say things always the right way. Uh, it's it, it's something I struggle with. A lot of things come very easy for me. Language stuff, foreign language uh, pronunciation, that stuff, not so much, but I appreciate the help and I'll continue to do my best to improve that as we continue the show. So thanks everybody. Uh, also, if you'd like to share this with, with your friends, if you, uh, have anybody who's into the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit or the movies or the rings of power, and you want to bring them into understanding more about the world behind everything, feel free to share the show. It really helps a lot. All right, let's move on with the rest of the episode. So snow sleep was referenced in the line right before the mid break. And this is uh, from what I remember from my English history studies and things like that. I took in college words like this compound words, snow sleep that tend to be like kind of an Anglo-Saxon thing. It's common in those histories to take two words and kind of merge them together to make a new thing. And it clearly implies the idea of laying down in the snow to die is basically what's going on. And so it shows the dangers again of the winter. And then this is repeated again in the very next paragraph. It says that they decided during that bitter day to toil on. They continue anyway because, quote, deeming the peril of foes less than the winter. They were more scared of starvation and freezing than they were of the orcs they might come across. So they continue forward anyway and eventually they head southward again down the vale of syrian and the mountains of dorloman are now left behind remember dorloman this is a this is a place that comes up very regularly especially for tour and turin and their people this is now behind them and we're getting to the end of a day again and it's specifically referenced because of some of the stuff that's going to happen we know it's been nine days traveling but they're at the end of this current day Dusk is coming, and they come to the highway at the bottom of a tall wooded bank, looking down on this highway. And then suddenly, they are aware of voices. This is what they were worried about. So they look down from the trees, and they see a red light below. The light is a fire where a company of orcs have encamped right in the midst of the road. And they're surrounding this large wood fire. And Tour mutters something here. He says, Gurth on Glomhoth. And I've looked this up and I cannot figure out exactly what this means, which is strange because most words have translations. You can find them on different websites and things like that. Gurth has something to do with death. Glomhoth, I can't find exactly that spelling, the way it's used here translated anywhere so if anybody knows maybe i'm just missing something let me know my guess is that this means death to the orcs or whoever this group is but i'm not 100 sure uh, then he says now the sword shall come from under the cloak i will risk death 
for mastery of that fire, and even the meat of orcs would be a prize. He's so desperate in this moment and so hungry that he's willing to take on an entire company of orcs with his sword alone just to get some warmth and some food. And Veronwi knows that he's acting in haste here and says, Nay, on this quest only the cloak will serve. You must forgo the fire or else forgo Turian. This band is not alone in the wild. Cannot your mortal sight see the far flame of other posts to the north or to the south? Basically like, look around, buddy. This isn't the only company of orcs right here. A tumult will bring a host upon us. Hearken to me, Tour. It is against the law of the hidden kingdom that any should approach the gates with foes at their heels. And that law I will not break, neither for Ulmo's bidding nor for death. Rouse the orcs, and I leave you. He's putting his foot down here. He's basically like, this is a terrible idea. I can see exactly where this is going to go. You're going to draw the rest of these orcs all to us. We're going to have to run. The only safe place we can go is potentially the pass to the Hidden Kingdom. But we can't do that. We can't bring the enemies to that pass because they'll know where we're going and what's up. So if you decide to do this, I'm leaving you and you're as good as dead. And this makes sense to Tour. Or I guess you could say he comes to his senses here. He says, then let them be. But may I live yet to see the day when I need not sneak aside from a handful of orcs like cowed dog. Basically, I want to live in a world where these terrible creatures are encroaching on our lands and I don't need to slink away. I can stand up to them directly. Come then said Veronwi. Debate no more, or they will scent us. Follow me. And he crept through the trees and was very careful about it. We're told that he goes down southward, down the wind, being away from the wind, so that their scent doesn't blow in the direction of the orcs. They're about halfway between these two encampments that they can see. And then he takes a break. He stands there a long while. And listens. And he says, I hear none moving on the road, but we know not what may be lurking in the shadows. And he peers forward into the gloom and shudders. And then he says, The air is evil. Alas, yonder lies the land of our quest and hope of life, but death walks between. This section reminds me so much of some of the dialogue from Legolas, where he would look in the distance beyond what the man or the dwarf near him could see, would listen in the air, would be aware of the direction of the wind, and then would say things like, alas, yonder lies the land of our quest, or whatever, that kind of language, right? This is very elvish. And again, you can see potentially the origins of these concepts and ideas in a character that would later inform other characters. Death is all about us, said Tour, but I have strength left only for the shortest road. And he's he's very desperate here. He's letting him know, like, listen, I am running out of steam. Here I must cross or perish. I will trust to the mantle of Ulmo. And you also I shall cover. Now I will lead. Basically, if we're going to make it through here, then... We have to do it my way because I know I'm at my limitation. I'm at my end 
of all my strength. So come with me. And then he takes the cloak and wraps it around both of them. And again, this situation reminds me of things that happen in the Lord of the Rings. And then this happens. So saying he stole to the border of the road, then clasping Veronwi close, he cast about them both the folds of the gray cloak of the Lord of Waters and stepped forth. All was still. The cold wind sighed as it swept down the ancient road. Then suddenly it too fell silent. In the pause, Tour felt a change in the air, as if the breath from the land of Morgoth had failed a while. And faint as a memory of the sea came a breeze from the west. As a gray mist on the wind, they passed over the stony street and entered a thicket on its eastern brink. This is another one of those moments where it feels like even though the Valar are keeping out of it, maybe they reached out. And it's a reminder of the sea, the wind from the west that smelled like the ocean. Was this something Ulmo did? Possibly, but he doesn't really control the winds. Was it something Manway did? Is he secretly helping them, even though he would stand behind Mandos and say that the doom is what it is and that the Valar should not play a part? Or was this another one of those moments where the hand of Iluvatar reaches into the world and changes one little thing, pushes away the breath of the land of Morgoth to give them a moment of solace and hope. And then we get this next paragraph. All at once, from near at hand, there came a wild cry, and many others along the borders of the road answered it. A harsh horn blared, and there was the sound of running feet. But Tour held on. He had learned enough of the tongue of the orcs in his captivity to know the meaning of those cries. The watchers had scented them and heard them, but they were not seen. The hunt was out. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, The Elder Scrolls Lorecast, The Witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots underscore radio, or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes, or just search Robots Radio Discord, or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time.